When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Have you been thinking about maybe having your own podcast? Well, if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First and foremost, it's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And then Anchor, they'll distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify and Apple and many more. With Anchor, you can start to make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership as well. It's truly everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. to In My Heart, a podcast truly about all of the things in my heart and finding our freedoms. I'm your host, Heather Thompson. Be sure to stay tuned after today's interview for Holla Back. That's my Q&A where I'm answering questions from my listeners, so be sure to stay tuned. I'm so excited to announce today's guest, Karen Duffy. She's a New York Times bestselling author, former MTV VJ, Revlon model and actress, And she has managed to live an enriching life despite living in a state of constant pain. Karen continues to send the message that despite the pain, there is a way to a good life. Welcome, Duff. Hello, beautiful people. And it's an honor to be in your ear holes right now. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Well, I am so excited to have you on the show. Many people know about you, but many people only know pieces of you. So, I mean, I know about your early career and, you know, your background as an MTV VJ, right? And how, mm-hmm. how amazing of a time was that? You know what I mean? And, and then your, your story, Duff, and where you have gone in life and what you've seen in life and been through life always is inspiring to me. You always have such wisdom about each and every kind of uh, piece of the pie you've bitten off. You know what I mean? Crumbs <laughs> of the apple you've been able to, to chew. But can we start just a little bit about 
being an MTV DJ and or VJ, I should say, and then moving into modeling for how it all began. You know, it's interesting, Heather, and uh, thank you for the warm welcome. So I was went to went to college and got my post grad degree uh, in recreational therapy and gerontology, and I moved back to New York City after college and got a job at the nursing home that I had been volunteering at since I was twelve. And I love being a recreational therapist. The main goal with recreational therapy is to avoid secondary disability. So if you are in any way disabled uh, and you're just lying in bed or sitting in your wheelchair, you'll get depressed. But if you can engage your mind, and I always say, do what you love and lots of it. When you do something you love, your IQ actually spikes. And I loved working at the nursing home. And I was working, I had a I had the Frank Sinatra Appreciation Hour, and I would make pasta, and we would sing, and uh, I was working a lot with um, uh, people with Alzheimer's and dementia. And I realized that working with a population that had a two-inch attention span, that these skills were transferable. And I thought, you know, MTV is reducing everyone's uh, attention span. So I made a tape by myself of being a VJ and joking around and sent it in unsolicited. I sent it in on a Friday on Tuesday. I had a screen test and by Wednesday I had the primetime slot. So with absolutely no experience, except I am impervious to embarrassment. Amazing. Do you know that I, and we're going to connect the dots on this because we're going to talk about living with chronic pain and your experience with that. I just got the chills because I didn't realize full circle, you were helping patients out early in your life before you even got, you know, thrown onto the Hollywood scene, so to speak. And now full circle, you've gone back to that very work. So we're going to get there. So from VJ exactly. to model, <laughs> amazing. Yes. So from VJ to model. So let's talk a little bit about that move and then your first book and how that happened. Well, I think because I just took a chance about uh, sending in a, I figured, well, like, what's the worst that can happen? They're not going to respond. So I was able to get this job at MTV. And the fact that I always felt like I snuck into a party and I was waiting to get kicked out. I took more risks and that made it more lively. And um, so I loved it. And I, I knew how to treat people with kindness and be grateful um, because of my skills as a healthcare professional. And then, you know, when I, when I got a job as a model with Revlon, I would be working with like Cindy Crawford and, you know, uh, L McPherson. And I would be between these two, I'm five, seven, and I've never done a sit up in my life. And I would be <laughs> these two goddesses. And I felt like a Leroy Neiman in a gallery of Van Gogh's. But again, I felt like, you know, like I, I figured, okay, there's probably like 10 people in the world that look like Cindy and L and Christy Turlington. But the rest of the world looks more like me. So 
it makes sense that I should shill makeup because I actually need it. And when you look at Cindy, <laughs> she doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. See, flipping perspectives, isn't that a lot about kind of what philosophy is? You have to look at all the different sides of a puzzle or a piece of something, right? Exactly. So, from embracing your own beauty, right? And embracing, you know, your own average beauty, like you want to mm -hmm. call it. Um, and then embracing the opportunity that you got being a model with that average beauty, something that people could relate to. You know, yeah. that was like, I think you were probably one of the early faces of that, which is incredible. But you went from this fabulous lifestyle of ch taking chance and risk and, and just diving in to a big change. And that was a diagnosis of a serious illness. And that really changed your life completely and forever. And your new book model, your first book, rather your first book model patient discusses that abrupt change from model to a disability. Can we mm -hmm. talk a little bit about that? Yes. You know, one out of every three Americans deals with some sort of uh, disability, whether it's visible or invisible. And what I have is an invisible disability, which means that uh, uh, the lesions that grow in my brain, which are a result of having sarcoidosis. Sarcoidosis is a orphan disease. They don't know what causes it. It's treatable, not curable. And I am a testament to fearless pharmacology and you know, embracing Western medicine and also Stoic philosophy, and you know, just taking care of myself. Um, so I live with chronic pain, uh, and that was probably the biggest issue. Um, and, and it's interesting. The word pain comes from the Latin "quona," meaning punishment, and living with chronic pain feels like you are serving a life sentence for a crime you didn't commit. And I think what I had to do was accept that this was my life and then figure out how to squeeze the best and the most beautiful bits out of it. And that was a real lesson. It's interesting. So the word chronic comes from chronos, meaning time. So chronic pain means it is timeless. It will never end. Where acute pain comes from the Greek acute, meaning sharp. So acute pain is sharp pain. There's usually uh, a visible wound, like a broken bone or stitches um, or a spider bite. But um, chronic pain is ongoing and long-term. And um, I figure, you know, there's pain that hurts you, and then there's pain that changes you, and chronic pain changes you. Incredible. I mean, I get the chills uh, when you say that because, I mean, first of all, I know firsthand what you go through, and I know firsthand, you know, all the challenges that you that you face and all the barriers that you break down. And it's quite inspiring and incredible. But I also get the chills because like you mentioned, there's so many Americans out there, you know, living with this type of pain. Living with a pain and, and as you, you know, describe it as a state of constant pain is something that, you know, people go through all the time and they really, A, they could be misdiagnosed, B, they're, you know, told they're crazy. You know, when, it, when you can't see it, like you said, when you can't see this physical wound, I think a lot of people 
uh, don't have places to go when they live in this type of pain. And it can be, I mean, completely debilitating or life breaking. And I, can you talk a little bit about that? Because you, you, you're, and I want to talk a little bit more about your disorder so people can understand, you know, what it is. And it causes the growth of inflammation inflammatory cells actually on your organs, right? Is your disease yes. and yours happens to be attacking the brain. Yes, but it's so been in my lungs, uh, my uterus, skin, eyes, anywhere you have soft tissue. It, the only place I can get it in my bone marrow, but not my bones or my teeth. So, I mean, like a mighty oak grows truffles, uh, someone with sarcoidosis, we uh, develop these granulomas. And what's interesting is when you live with a chronic illness, there's a lot of talk about fighting the illness and we're going to battle it and we're going to kill it with chemo. And, and I just feel like all these warlike metaphors, I'm a lover, not a fighter. And right. I just felt like that to me sounds more like a resistance and what I'm going to need is I'm going to have to actually accept this and, you know, and, and, and be resilient. And that's a big lesson um, because chronic pain is very, it, it's a, there's a lot of shame involved because yes. I, I'm a very healthy looking chronically ill person and I know my limits. I mean, I would love to be, uh, you know, marching, you know, during this political year, but I know that I would be a drain on resources. I know what I, you know, I don't want, I'm a grenade and I don't want to detonate and take resources away from anyone else. So every day I try and, you know, do what I can. I write letters right. and, you know, I make calls and I am present and engaged and I love my life. And I love the fact that, uh, you know, a big part of my day is connecting with people who are living with similar issues and just letting them know that you are seen and understood. That's right. Supporting that. I mean, that's what I find so incredible about UW is so you you live your life and you live a, a, a lavish beautiful, you know, luscious life you do. And you live it within boundaries for yourself. You live it within bumpers and you know your boundaries and you're able to accept that. And I think like you mentioned, you know, we're always fighting these things, but what you do is you always say that like, we shape our lives by what we make of our circumstances. You're illuminating gratifying methods in your work, in your, your books that people can use to cope with chronic pain and reinforce that sentiment that our circumstances determine our lives, but you shape what makes, what you make of those circumstances. I remember during times when I've been low in my life and felt, you know, it wasn't, I think I didn't have a health concern, but a broken heart or a broken spirit can be pretty painful. Mm -hmm. And you know, I think one of the best lessons I learned in that, and I think this is the lesson that you teach about living with chronic pain is, is that you have to accept the pain. You have mm -hmm. to allow yourself to feel the pain and whether in my circumstance, I needed to wallow in it and feel a little sorry for myself for a while. Then I recognized I couldn't stay down here on the floor forever. 
I was gonna have to get back up, right? So I love how you started um, this journey. Now, so her second book right now is out in paperback called Backbone. And she really is talking about the state of living in constant pain, but it's powerful and inspirational and funny as an important manual for surviving the pain. And in your first book, when you talked about, you know, being a model patient, your life as an incurable wise ass, which I love. So at the beginning, it was like accepting that your life had changed and you had these boundaries, right? And the second book now, Backbone, is living with it and the balls, pardon me, the pun that it takes to do it. Can we talk a little bit about the, that transition and what exactly. it felt like? Yeah. Well, I was a rookie. Um, you know, I was... 31 when I got first got sick. It was 33 when I got a diagnosis. Um, and I was incapacitated. I was for those years. And um, uh, what was amazing, I just signed a deal with Revlon. And I was like, well, I'm not exactly that tomboy girl next door. You know, I'm on steroids and my head's the size of a pumpkin and my hair fell out. And what was amazing, Ron Perlman, who has been incredible with uh, donating to women's health, yes. uh, he said, uh, we hired you for your inner beauty. And I think that's probably the first cosmetic company that ever has done that. But it was interesting. So when I started with uh, you know, um, my first book, yeah, I was a rookie. And now I'm this grizzled veteran. I've lived with this illness for over 20 years, and, and I've accepted it. And um, a big part of the acceptance um, was uh, the understanding. Epictetus says, we can't control what happens. We can only control how we respond. Now, I've lived with this long enough that I, I probably won't see a uh, cure in my lifetime. I'm fighting for it. I'm not fighting. I'm fighting for that. I'm fighting for other people. Um, but... I only control how I respond. And if I was just, you know, lamenting and whinging, it wouldn't be any, you know, I wouldn't have any meaning. And I right. think that finding a sense of purpose and finding what you're meaning, what you're meant to do. Uh, and I've had to pivot, you know, I've got, I've had to pivot from VJ, um, you know, to model, to correspondent. And I've always been a, been a writer and this is the joy and this is what I can do I can sit home and write and read and think and I love it that's I mean I love that because not only are you embracing your life and enriching the lives of others but you still that's your passion work you know that's who you are but you still you know, our contributor, you know, for the New York Times and Glamour and Esquire and the Daily News. And you're still playing parts in movies. Like, you know, I remember my favorite, I didn't get to see you, but the character, uh, the the fantastic Mr. Fox. Oh. Uh, Wes Anderson's fantastic Mr. I mean, because I knew you by the time that movie came out personally really well. And I loved your voice in that movie. And that was one of my favorite, our favorite family movies for sure. And they they recorded it here at our farm. Oh, they did. I didn't know that. Yeah. So it was fun. So uh, George Clooney and Bill Murray and all the casts moved in 
to our farm. And I remember at one point going down to our wine cellar and thinking, we we inherited this house from my husband's family. And I was like, there's no way we'll ever finish all this wine in our lifetime. After <laughs> that week, yes, we had finished it. Um, <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I, I, and while I'm able to do exciting things. I just produced a um, documentary about Bill Murray performing um, in Athens at the Acropolis. Um, and I am an associate producer of a movie that Peter Farrelly uh, will be directing in January. Um, I'm, you know, again, I know my limits, but that doesn't mean I can't push it. And right. um, one of the things that I keep thinking about is when you make beautiful choices, you will make a beautiful life. And if I choose to try and be kind, try and be generous, if I always look for the beautiful choice, the choice that I won't regret, it's a pretty simple motto. Yeah, I think it's a great motto. And I, and I think it's, um, it's true of the challenges, uh, you know, that invisible illnesses and illnesses that we face in this country, uh, you know, ta the, the toll they take on us and how we treat each other as citizens and people. I mean, so, you know, Bill Murray is one of your best friends, you know, George Clooney, these are your true friends. And you have this great uh, support system around you that, you know, in an in a, in a industry that's not so friendly generally, you know what I mean? When somebody can't keep up with the Joneses, so to speak, they get left in the dust. And that wasn't your experience. And I have to say that I know that, you know, Bill and George are great people, but I think it's also a testament to you that you didn't let it ever beat you or blow you down, or did you ever hide behind it? You were always very strong standing in your truth. And so much so that you can poke fun at it. You're mm -hmm. very funny about it you know you bring you bring the humor in life's hard knocks you know what i mean that you have to kind of say uh, again another one like you got to have a sense of humor and and these are two gentlemen two of your best friends that have these types of sense of humor can you talk a little bit about that and how important that is in our lives friendship support sense of humor all that you know one of my um favorite quotes is from ecclesiastes and it said a good friend is the medicine of life. And that's really true. Um, and uh, friendship is a gift. And Bill said, you know, friendship's so weird. I mean, you pick a human and you out of everybody, you say, yeah, I like that one. And then you start doing things with them. And yeah, it, it is kind of weird how you just pick people to be your friends. And, and I think, you know, it's important to keep cultivating it. And, and especially, um, you know, as we grow older, often, you know, we keep making friends, you know, in college and when we're young adults. And then as we move into middle age, we kind of weed our social garden. And I think, be a good friend, be a shower upper. And uh, that's one of the hard things about living with chronic illness is, sometimes I can't show up and yeah. I have to forgive myself for that. And I don't want to let people down. And um, so having the understanding of, again, your, of your limits, but one of my other favorite quotes from Lord Byron, he always says like, 
always laugh when you can. It's cheap medicine. And so between the friendships, which is good medicine, and laughter, which is cheap medicine, I think that could be part of Obamacare. Yes, I love that. And speaking of showing up, my friend, you are such a good friend when it comes to that. You are always there. I mean, even with your chronic illness, and I know that there are some days and nights that are more difficult than others, and I've seen it, but you'll like leave a little early, you know, duck out a little early, but you're always there, Duff. And I want to talk a little bit about that. And that is Karen Duffy Duff and, you know, finding your friends. And like you said, you weed your social garden. And as we go through life, we go through these changes and your identity, you recently wrote an article that went viral on being named Karen Mm -hmm. and feeling as though you were mislabeled. And I mean, geez, Karens are getting a lot of bad baggage right now. Let's talk about your identity crisis or (laughs) lack thereof, really. I felt like I've never been called Karen. My, My family calls me Cannonball and my mom had a lot of kids. And I think she she just mislabeled me and it's interesting there's there's a a theory it is called nominative determinism and that's the belief that your name has a bit of an influence on who you will be like my last name duffy means clan of the dark haired um Duff. And you do have dark hair. And I do have dark hair. And then, you know, Duff also means, you know, it's designated ugly fat friend. It also it does. is. Yes. Duff is like the, the, the dust in the bottom of a Cheetos bag. And <laughs> I just, I, I was thinking, well, Karen, like, and I have some amazing friends named Karen. And, um, my girlfriend, Karen Russell, she always writes, this is, Ka- whenever she sees an article about Karen, she's like, this is Black Karen approved. So we have this little society of Karens. Um, <laughs> but I feel like I've traded the name Karen and then Duff just is just as, as fraught with uh, negative images. But I prefer the idea of Duff. I do think I'm spicy and delicious, just like the bottom of a Cheetos bag. I definitely, people lick that, man. Yes. <laughs> they dump it in their mouths until the very end. Well, you can be the bottom of my Cheetos bag <laughs> any day, baby. <laughs> That's a good friend, Toots. <laughs> well, guys, 2020, to say the least, has been a lot. And, you know, we all can benefit from less stress and more sleep in our lives. It really is so important to get enough sleep. It's so important to take care of ourselves and invest in our well-being, especially during times of anxiety. That's why I'm so excited to partner with Calm. It's an app designed to help you ease stress and get the best sleep of your life. I know because I have the app and I use it. And when you relieve anxiety and improve your sleep, you just feel better in every part of your life. So for listeners of the show, Calm is offering a special limited time promotion of 40% off of a Calm premium subscription. Yay! That's at calm.com. So calm.com backslash in my heart, and you'll get 40% off 
unlimited access to Calm's entire library and new content. It's added every week. So you've got to get started today because a restful night's sleep is just a click away. Calm.com backslash in my heart. That's C-A-L-M.com backslash in my heart. Don't sleep on it. I know who you are as a person and I know how much really wisdom you have to share and how good you are at sharing it and what an amazing writer you are. But what made you moving from model patient, discussing the change from model to, you know, attending celebrity parties to this diagnosis of a serious illness right into backbone, which is the manual for surviving pain based on your experience as not only a recreational therapist, but then the patient yourself but when did you decide you wanted to create this inspirational man manual? Because it, it, there is a, it, although the book is not funny, you're funny in the book. And there's a <laughs> lot, can you talk a little bit about that and why you felt like you need to have that push to do that? Well, you know, it's interesting, Heather, because um, I spend a lot of time in hospitals um, and it can be infantilizing. Like I was in for an MRI and they're like, do you want a coloring book? And I'm like, I'm a 57 year old lady. And I prefer a shot of vodka. Thank you. <laughs> I would prefer that. How about a margarita? You know, a lot of like the beautiful people who care for me are in like teddy bear scrubs. And there's a lot of teddy bears connected to women's health issues. And I just thought, you know, it's, it, it can be so infantilizing and actually there's a, a pain scale, I think, that we've all seen of happy faces where, where you rate your yes. pain from one to 10. And, you know, it's like zero, no pain. And then 10, it's like crying, worst pain ever. And I thought, well, you know, I see that every day. I looked it up and it was made for pediatrics. So I rejiggered it and I used Bill Murray's face and <laughs> Bill Murray pain scale. Um, and that was, you know, that's what I'm trying to do is just, uh, you know, have some fun, deep dive into, um, like, the reason why cancer is called cancer. My kid was like, you know, I'm born in June and it says cancer. What does that mean? And, and I was like, well, cancer is a, uh, you know, a constellation that is meant to look like a crab. And cancer, the illness the tumors under the skin were fed by veins, which made it look like cancer. It made it look like a crab. So that's why it's called cancer. So, I mean, I find like diving into entomology and the history of words and the, and the terms that we use. And, um, but of all the things I would say in the past 25 years that have really been indelible in my soul, besides my faith, has been Stoic philosophy. And specifically Epictetus, uh, who wrote the Manual for Living. And uh, Epictetus um, was a slave. He was beaten so savagely that his leg was broken. He lived with chronic pain. And again, the simplicity of his speaking. Like he said, the best way to deal with an adversary is to not be like them. And in our house, there's no technology at the table. We just have uh, philosophy books. And 
I love that somehow it sunk into my son. The other day I was missing him and he said, you know, mom, don't worry. As Aristotle said, worry is misuse of the imagination. That to me was like- Bravo, young man. Yes, it was great. (laughs) Well, that, and so that must lead, I mean, you don't have to be a brain surgeon to figure out that that was what led to your third book. And that's about to come out at the top of 2021, right? Yes. And that's, that's your next book, which is Dear Life, an operating manual for living a good one. Mm-hmm. And I, I, oh my, and boy, if anybody has the advice for that, it is you. Because I, first of all, I love your philosophy. I love how well-read you are. I love who you quote. I love the artists you know. Like, I always come away, like, feeling like I just got, like, doused in, like, culture and philosophy. Like, I'm, like, 14 karat gold shiny after I leave a night with you, Duff. But this is really about letters to your son, this book, and this whole philosophy table in your house where you flip through those sort of things instead of sharing the the latest Instagram post. And it's about living a strenuous life and and the vigor and the virtue uh, that you need to kind of, I guess, put forth in order to use these tenets that you you mentioned of a stoic philosophy. So break it down for the layman a little Mm -hmm. bit. What does stoic philosophy even mean? right? And how do you apply it and, and teach your children and teach your friends like me about it? So um, there's the small s stoic, which means keeping a stiffer up, upper lip. We all know right now we are all being very stoic during this election season. We're not jumping out of windows. Um, that, that is um, a bravery, a fortitude. Capital S stoic comes from a school of philosophy that was founded in uh, Greco-Roman times. And it was uh, Plato taught in a cave. Um, Aristotle believes that your best thoughts happen when you are walking. Zeno of Sintuum, who created Stoic philosophy, created it on a porch in the center of Athens, meaning that the entire population was welcome to talk about the, the principles of Stoic philosophy. And it's really about personal responsibility and how we respond. And I love, um, you know, Epictetus's quote, when you make beautiful choices, you will make a beautiful life. It is so simple. Although it was written 20 centuries ago, it feels like the ink is still wet and it is not in any way retrograde. It's radical. And um, I find that it's interesting that um, self-help books and some people are, you know, when you buy a self-help book, the reward center of your brain has already been lit up and you essentially feel like you've done the work just by buying the book. And then I think, well, you can just go to any library and pick up Meditations by Marcus Aurelius or my favorite book by um, Epictetus, The Manual for Living. And on each page, it's maybe four sentences, but you feel you're clobbered over the head with wisdom because it is so useful and so simple. And that's what I love about it. It's not an egghead, stodgy philosophy. Right. Yeah. 
This is literally getting back to basics. Truly. Way back to exactly. basics. Exactly. And knowing when life was so simple then, and there was so much time on these, you know, philosophers' hands and these great leaders and great thinkers, that's what they did. They thought so much and they were overthinkers and existentialists and overthinking everything all the time. And I think it's one of the biggest problems that we have today is we don't think. We, are, we just do. We, we do what we're told. We believe what we hear. And there's no more time to just wait and think on things, it, especially with social media. I mean, like, talk about sending a text message. If the person doesn't answer you back in two seconds, you're like, well, what are they doing? You know, remember when you used to get mail and you would, like, you know, take the time to write it back? I mean, instant gratification is everything to today's society. And It's amazing. You're absolutely right. And um... You know, the designers who created uh, the iPhone, they designed it to be addictive. And that right. we touch our phones 3,000 times a day. And when you just think about that, like, I don't want devices making decisions for me. It's interesting, like, I'm spending a lot of time writing and I say a lot of words, um, you know, we offer vernacular. And, you know, it'll start in, in saying things for me. And I'm like, wait a minute. No, I'm in control here. So I think the important thing is that we embrace all these tools, but don't give away our freedom because that is so valuable. And these are our choices. Make a choice. Turn it off. Yeah. That's right. Well, I mean, I was going to ask you, you know, I... Finding my freedom is, has been a big journey for me over the past, you know, six years or so. Um, and, you know, how do you act and live in finding your freedom? I mean, clearly you just said choices, you mm -hmm. know, having, being, you know, in control of your own life is finding freedom to you. Um, but let's talk a little bit more about that because I know you're going to have something like good to say about it because it can mean so many things to different people. I think, you know, it's, uh, I love this book, uh, it's a, a book I read every year, uh, Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. And he says, you know, everything can be taken away. The 18th century philosophers, they would, when, when you walk in nature, um, they would call it tuflenor. And actually in Japan, um, a walk in the woods, they call that forest bathing. It's called Shinrin Yuku. And the Minister of Health in Japan has prescribed that every resident spend at least 30 minutes forest bathing. And I think when you like turn off your phone and, and, and realize that the only thing that we have is time and you don't need a terminal illness, but that certainly shines a light on that. But when you understand that all we have is time, I think just being kind to yourself and allowing, we don't have to be strident and enjoy it. And I think do what you love and lots of it. Yes, I completely agree. I think that there's a lot of takeaways here, you know what I mean? And embracing your pain and struggle, feeling it, allowing to, uh, your, your, yourself to accept mm -hmm. it and not yeah. beat yourself up over it. Yeah. It's, you know, your imperfection. And I always say this old adage, you, you throw your problems in a circle and you run home with your own, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Everybody's dealing with certain types of things. And yes, some challenges are 
harder than others or more obvious than others. Um, but we all have it. And so we just have to practice a little kindness between each other. We have to take some time to listen to each other. And we have to take some time for ourselves to think, to mend, to understand, you know what I mean? Even ourselves, we don't even understand ourselves. And you've spent an awful lot of time understanding yourself. And now with almost three books, another one in 2021, you've been able to share uh, those stories with, with us. And so I hope my listeners will definitely look back to your first book and your model patient and your second book, Backbone. Um, I love that I had even this small amount of time to share you Duff with my listeners, because I just find you to be such a prize and such a, a, a beacon in this world that we live in. And I also love your style <laughs> and you bring, you always bring it, man. You always are great. And I love your hats and you, you know, some of the things that you even have to do with your clothing, because, um, Duffy can't wear uh, tight clothing a lot of times because of her illness or things around her neck. Um, but she really has made it part of her style, which I love. So can you tell me some of your favorite things right now? Like, what are you into? Like, what's making you tick in terms of fashion or okay. hats or what? Or a recipe? Something. So I never know whether or not, you know, I, I'm on chemo. So I, know, I don't know if I'm going to have hair or not. And so I just started wearing hats. And Gigi Pip has the greatest hats for under a hundred dollars. They look like the hats that I usually pay $600 for. So I would say GG right. Pip. And um, I love Veronica Beard because I, you know, my husband is very preppy. My son, they goes to boarding school and has to wear a coat and tie. My, ho- my husband works from home right now and he is in a coat and tie. Um, and my son, and, and I was like, you guys, and, and my son's like, hey, a pandemic is no, it, it is no excuse to let your, uh, you know, to lower your principles. So, and I just thought that was really right. interesting. But before we go, I think it's important to remember, in the words of Plato, be kind, because everyone is facing a hard battle. You never know with the jackass who won't wear the mask at the big Y and you know, you never know. And so if you can keep that wee bit of compassion and understand again, like Marcus Aurelia said, the best way to deal with somebody you don't like is to not be like them. So especially during a pandemic, especially during an election year, this has been a really hard time and uh, have compassion for yourself and make that German pancake it's in the new york times you can google it it's called the dutch baby pancake it it's three ingredients it's three eggs a half a cup of milk a half a cup of flour you take four tablespoons of butter melt it in a cast iron skillet turn on the oven to 400 let it heat up and then pour the batter into that melted butter pop it in the oven for 12 minutes it puffs up like a birthday cake you're going to jump out of. It is the greatest thing. I make it for tea time. I love it. Oh my God. So tell me what it is again. It's the it's German the, pancake in the New York the Times. The Dutch baby or the German pancake. And it's the Dutch. It's amazing. I got to make those for Jack's. Oh my God. I'm so doing that. I love it. I love it. 
Oh my God, Duff, I'm so glad you came on. I can't wait to have you back. Congratulations on your beautiful works of art and your writing and your courage and your beautiful shining example that you set for us every day. Thank you. I love you. Reflect you. it. Appreciate it. Friends hold a mirror up to each other and I love what I see. So thank you, Heather. Lots of love, man. Uh, Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Welcome to Hollaback. This is the part of my podcast where I answer all of your questions. My next question is from at amazing. <laughs> That's at U-H-M-E-E-Z-I-N-G. And they ask, would you ever have Jill Zarin on your podcast? Absolutely. I would absolutely have Jill Zarin on my podcast. I actually think we'd have a lot to talk about. There's been a lot of uh, things swirling around, you know, her discussions of, of me, quote unquote, replacing her on the show, which Andy confirmed that was never the case. We, I think housewives come and go, and I don't think they're necessarily replaced. But yes, I would have her on my podcast for sure. Thank you for the question. My next question is from at charles.smi. Charles asks, seeing as how you are an advocate for diversity in the Roni cast, do you think they're adding the fabulous Ebony K. Williams is performative or reactionary due to the current climate surrounding racial inequality? Ooh, that's a good question, Charles. And I think it's an easy answer. I think it's both. I really do. I think it's both. And I wish the new cast all kinds of luck this year. Thank you so much for asking. Love you all. And be sure to follow along at I am Heather T and send me any questions. Don't forget to subscribe and download wherever you stream your podcast and join us next week for another episode.